Hello, welcome to Dr. Scoff and the Prof. I'm Dr. Clay Granston. And my name is Dr. Bryce Evans, and we're both based at Liverpool Hope University in England, and this is a food studies podcast. Yeah, a bit of food history thrown in there as well. And on that theme of food history today, we've got uh, an interesting special episode because we are talking to Ashley Rose Young, who is, uh, Dr. Ashley Rose Young is food historian uh, based at the Smithsonian uh, in uh, DC, Washington DC in the United States. Have you been there? Uh, I've never been there, no. Have it's, you? It's, uh, well, I've been to, to part of it, I think. I mean, it's, it's vast. It's the world's largest museum education and research complex. Wow. So it's interesting to get Ashley in to talk to us because she is the uh, food historian, graduate of uh, Duke and Yale in the US, and she really is in charge of all their food programs at the Smithsonian. Great. And uh, yeah, we had a chat to her and she's going to tell us all about what they, what they do there, uh, some of the ex- exhibitions they have, some of the, the live cooking events they have, which sound really, really interesting. Um, but also in that conversation... Um, she came up with a really good name for our podcast. Well, so, as regular re- listeners know, I'm dissatisfied with the name of this podcast. I think dissatisfied is terrible. So she had some alternative suggestions. She had one which was really good, which was um, a matcha made in heaven. A matcha, matcha yeah, made matcha in... Yeah, sort of a, it's a, it's a food stuff. So uh-huh. matcha made in heaven. So that was pretty good, to I'm, be fair. I'm glad we didn't introduce that with yeah. a drum roll. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I mean, I've obviously got one for this week. I've got a bit meta... Go on then. Um, I was, you know, imagine we changed the format of this whole podcast and uh, we're on the Grillenium Falcon, so a bit of a Star Wars theme for you. I can be Ham Solo and you could be Bubba Fetter, maybe, I thought. I think this, as puns go, this is just a bridge too far. I think so. Yeah. We could do the Kessel Run in 12 Parsnacks. Oh, that's for, you know, that's for all the Star Wars fans out there. Deary me. This, the sound of tumbleweed. That's brilliant. Um, that's I, brilliant hours went into that <laughs> hours and hours yeah, glad to hear you're not wasting your time that's good that's yeah. good um, so we're gonna we're gonna um, go to the to the interview in a bit aren't we um, yeah yeah we'll get we'll get hold of Ashley um, in fact I think we may regularly uh, go across the pond to Ashley and, yeah I think you know, we contributions. should pop in and, and see how she's getting on I mean um, well we'll find out in a minute all the exciting stuff they're doing but um, yeah. compared to um a lot of the institutions in, in Britain, they seem to be sort of... Well, it's very public-facing, isn't it? Yeah, it's like public it history, and as she discusses, they've a load of initiatives, very sort of public-facing, so that's why it's yeah. so engaging. I think. Well, I was trying to think. I was, I was trying to think if there are any in, in the UK that do something similar. I mean, there are live cooking events, etc., but I don't know from a, from a history point of view that, that are public-facing and regular as well and in, there's the odd event in, in different um, museums etc around the there country. are and basically and uh, various sort of seminars and events at different universities yeah. but the interesting thing about Ashley is because the Smithsonian is, is so big um, and she's really in charge of everything uh, it's really on a sort of scale that, that yeah. is beyond us in this country well, maybe we should do one a, a whole programme of events around uh, maybe we should if anyone's listening to this out there that um you know, wants us to do something. Well, if anyone wants to sponsor us, give us some money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Money or spam. We could do yeah, spam. Pay, pay, pay in spam. A lot of coverage this week about stockpiling of spam in Britain <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. post-Brexit, but that's another another matter. So I think without further ado, will we, um, yeah. will we cross over to Ashley Rose yeah, Young? You've got to ask the question, though. What, what's the question? Well, what I did is I spliced it, um, and I, I kind of over-spliced. So you need to ask the same question you asked before. 
and then we'll seamlessly go into it. What question did I ask before? Uh, it was just around what, what's going on in the Smithsonian. Ashley, Dr. Ashley Rose Young, food historian at the Smithsonian. What's going on at the moment in the Smithsonian? Well, we're always thinking about different aspects of American food history. Every single month, we actually have a live cooking demonstration program that I helped develop, and I'm actually the host of, called Cooking Up History. And this is a program where we invite a guest chef to come into the heart of our museum and prepare live on stage several dishes that speak to a theme in American history. And we actually have a beautiful, fully outfitted stage, a kitchen stage in the heart of the museum. So this is a very special location for museum visitors to come to. And every year we pick an annual theme to kind of orient all of our food programming and food research around. And this year we're focusing on the theme of regions reimagined. So thinking about the power of place and how people relate to a particular location, how an environment shapes what we eat on a daily basis. And so we ask lots of questions about community, identity, technology, all rooted in this question of, you know, where am I living and why does that matter? And how does that affect who I am and what I eat on a daily basis? So, you know, just last Friday, this would have been in July, we had a wonderful chef come in, Brian Patterson, and we explored the regional foods of the Northeast of the United States. And there's always debate as to what states belong in this region, what cities, but we decided to explore the regional foods of the city of Boston. Uh, I don't think anyone would really argue that Boston is anywhere but the Northeast. And so we looked at historic Boston baked bean recipes. We looked at Boston brown bread and lobster rolls. All of these foods that really speak to the maritime community that Boston is a part of, but also going back to the pre-colonial period, looking at indigenous foodways and how important and integral uh, agricultural practices were, you know, cultivating these beans, cultivating cornmeal, or corn rather, to produce cornmeal, and how those parts of history end up in recipes that we still make today, like baked beans and Boston brown bread. So really kind of acknowledging the deep indigenous roots of a lot of the foods we still consume today and also acknowledging the appropriation and the violence the um, you know this very conflicted history of the American Northeast between European settlers and also indigenous communities so we see cooking up history as a program to explore those themes both both the positive and also very dark aspects of, of American history and to provide you know, just some contact. I'm just looking, Ashley, at your past demos and recipes, which we should say are available via the website. And it's very eclectic. I mean, I'm seeing here Chinese, Cajun and Creole, Haitian, uh, Mexican-American. So if our listeners want to check that out, they just go to the, I suppose, Google food history at the Smithsonian. Yeah, my suggestion always is to Google uh, Smithsonian Cooking Up History, and that will take you to a link that'll get you to our website the easiest way. And as you said, all of our recipes that we prepare live on stage are available to download via PDF. And one of the recipes I may suggest later in the program is probably going to be from Cooking Up History, um, because they're just it's just so eclectic, as you said, and really reflects this 
very diverse, constantly evolving food culture in the United States. So I think it's a wonderful resource. And, and many of those recipes come from our guest chefs. Some of them are home cooks, but others are professional chefs. They're James Beard Award winners. They're nationally recognized uh, culinary professionals. So it is just a wonderful resource for any kind of foodies out there interested in food history of the U.S. What was your favorite and most interesting um food or food stuff that you've you've made during this time that you've been doing it well <laughs> that's a great question and as you said we've done so many different recipes i was actually the guest chef in january so we didn't bring in someone from the outside for our january program and instead i served as the guest chef and my colleague Catherine mead served as the co-host and we went into the archives of our museum we actually have an archive center and we looked for a historic recipe that spoke to a theme that was last year's theme and that was many flavors one nation so we're very interested in these stories of migration and how the movement of people and the movement of food shape the american experience and so we went into the archives trying to get a sense of you know a recipe that we could replicate from the past to really dig into technological changes over time you know how is a recipe from the 1800s for example different from what we're making today and we did go in and find a recipe for franklin cake and we didn't really know who franklin was because one of the family members who donated these papers was named Franklin. So we were wondering, you know, is this a cake recipe for this person or this person's great-great-grandfather? Who is Franklin? And so we sort of went on this mystery hunt as historians. I felt very much like a detective trying to find out who Franklin was. And through research and talking to historians of cake, Anne Byrne being one of them, we found out that there was a tradition in the United States to prepare birthday cakes for political celebrities, this one being Benjamin Franklin. And the thought is that this kind of tradition derives from a tradition in Britain of baking cakes on the Queen's birthday or for the King's birthday. So there's an interesting kind of transatlantic connection here between the two dishes we made. But that was interesting because the cake was very dense. It was flavored with molasses. It used a lot of molasses, and it was a general kind of ginger spice cake. But it was definitely different from the cake that any American today would be used to eating, where we have so much refined sugar in our cakes. Our cakes tend to be layer cakes nowadays. They're much lighter because of baking soda and baking powder. But this recipe from the early 1800s was very dense, was leavened with whipped eggs. And, you know, it was just a very a different kind of flavor. But that was particularly fun just because you know, I actually had to be the chef that day, which was interesting. I will mention another example. In February, we celebrated Haitian carnival in our museum by inviting Chef Juven Jean, who's a celebrity Haitian chef, to come into the museum. And we also partnered with Joanne Hippolyte, who is from the National Museum of African American History and Culture, just across the mall from us. And also we partnered with the Embassy of the Republic of Haiti to really talk about the traditions of Haitian food cultures, not only in Haiti itself, but how they change and evolve and develop once Haitian migrants arrive in the United States. And it was such a beautiful program. I mean, the, the audience was one of the 
largest audiences we've ever had at the museum. It was an incredibly diverse audience. We felt like we were creating a museum space that was welcoming to a community that didn't necessarily see our museum as a home for their history and culture prior to this program. And it was incredibly meaningful in that sense that there was something beyond just making food happening at that moment in time where I felt like we were producing a sort of culinary diplomacy. We were changing narratives. We were changing minds about what Haitian food culture is and how important it is to the story of American history. And we just had so much fun on stage making piglis, which is, you know, traditional pickled dishes. We made, we made beignets, um, which was very near and dear to my heart as a historian of New Orleans food culture. Um, there's beignets, obviously, very popular in New Orleans, if anyone's been there, to Café du Monde or another location. So it was just a, a really meaningful program. So that definitely stuck out in my mind as well. Well, Ashley, I'm delighted to hear it. I was over a couple of years ago in the States doing some research on election cake. So I'm delighted to hear you did something to do with cake. And these cakes tended as well to be quite alcoholic. I'm not sure if that was the case with Franklin cake, which is always good fun. Um, I just wanted to ask you, though, about the more permanent exhibition that you have uh, at the museum, uh, Food Transforming the American Table. I wonder, can you tell us a little bit about that? Of course. So Food Transforming the American Table is kind of our cornerstone exhibition that really explores changes in American food waste since 1950. And the exhibit is really split into two themes. One is technology and innovation, looking at things like the agricultural industry in the United States, the use of technology to track uh, the production of lettuce and the movement of these goods once they leave the field, uh, all the way to the production of wine and the new technologies that have developed within the United States and across the globe to really refine that process. So that's one side of the exhibition. And then the other side of the exhibition explores kind of the cultural products of food waste. So thinking about the restaurants that are important to the United States, looking at Alice Waters, and looking at kind of the good food movement in the United States in the second half of the 20th century, that really brought many Americans' attention back to this idea of local matters, knowing your producer matters, um, and we explore those themes, as well as social justice issues around food ways, um, tying those to the movements of African Americans seeking political and social justice, for example, and then there's also, um, as anyone who's visited our museum will know, an entire section dedicated to Julia Child's kitchen, and Julia Child, we see her as sort of the heart of the American Food History Project, because when we collected her kitchen, we actually have her kitchen in our museum from Cambridge, Massachusetts. When we collected her kitchen in 2001, it really enlivened the beautiful work that we had already been doing at the museum with food history and with the Wine History Project. But having Julia Child's kitchen there brought such a diverse, broad audience into the museum because so many people love her story. So many people have memories of watching her on TV or reading her cookbook or watching the Julie and Julia movie. I mean, her kitchen is just the pulse of everything that we do with the American Food History Project. And there was a spirit that Julia Child had that we really try to embody, which is 
you know, the idea that we all need to embrace diverse cultures. We need to be, the kitchen is a classroom. We are constantly learning. We are trying to open ourselves up to new cultures and ideas to be accepting and inclusive. And Julia was all about that. And that is what we try to do with our museum programming is to build a space that is welcoming to all so that we can really represent the diverse histories of the American populace, which is incredibly diverse, overwhelmingly so, but food helps us kind of get at some of those nuances. And so that's the food exhibit as it exists right now. We have got a recipe from Ashley and what we have or what she told us to, to cook is something that uh, she has uh, been involved with and cooked with uh, a guest which are um, donuts called Hoduck. They're not spelt Hoduck but that's how, how it's pronounced and as, as always as usual the prof has swerved cooking again. Uh, we should just actually we should rename this show Dr. Cook and Professor Swerve. Well, it, it would be better than the current would, title. Well, yeah, okay. And, but these Korean donuts, which is what Hoduck are, really interesting here. Ashley's done a book on New Orleans, or New Orleans. I think she mentions uh, cuisine. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this is from the book Edward Lee's Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine. Which sort of segues into the book corner a bit it's later on as well. Of the yeah, week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he, Mr. Edward Lee says, the Korean donut and the New Orleans beignet. Yeah. What's, what's a beignet? A beignet. Have you ever had? you never had beignet. Uh, it's no. deep fried choux pastry. Okay. Uh, it's quite big in, in New Orleans. They have, it, I think, I think with powdered sugar. So the Korean donut and the New Orleans beignet are distant cousins with the same purpose, to put a smile on your face. The dough for these donuts contains a lot of rice flour, which gives them a crispier crust than the typical American donut. Yep. Pan-fried, best eaten right out of the pan while still warm and crisp. And I'm delighted to say we have prepared by your good self, Claire. Yes, yes. Uh, right out of the pan, still warm and crisp here. Yeah. And after a lot of cursing, which I'm not sure is in the recipe. No, we were going to record me uh, cooking them, but... Uh, it was a bit blue. Was, it was a bit blue. Are we gonna are we gonna try these try a bit of these? Yeah, things? you've cut them up and the butter's oozing out. I mean, they look Oof, they look. We, I should say what what what's in them first. There's a there? nutty. Yeah, yeah, there's there's um some cashew nuts, uh, some butter, some uh, dark sugar in the middle, mm. uh, some cinnamon, and uh, they they look quite unctuous. I think unctuous. Mm. Oh man, that's really good. Wow, I mean, I've never made donuts before, but they're really really good. Um, black pepper in there, black sesame seeds. Mm. It's not. I mean, they're really, really good. A bit of a strange. It's different flavour mm. than sort of our. Well, we were talking about American donuts. I mean, British donuts are traditionally just with jam in the middle, mm. loads and loads of sugar around the yeah. around the outside. These are a different flavour. They've mm. that stodgy donut consistency. But there's something mm. very different about them. And mm. I have to say, you've surpassed yourself here. I, I really have. I, yeah, you're very modest about it as well, clearly. Well, they look awful. I mean, I, I, I mean... <laughs> well, they're not rounded. I imagine these are supposed to be rounded, are they? You're just a little bit flattened. Well, I just thought, you know... You're a bit angry. Well, I just thought we're recording this, so they don't actually need to look very good at all. They just need to taste good and be cooked. 
Um, mm. It's the first time I've used active yeast as well in cooking. I've never made bread or anything like that before. They, they do taste great. You've, you've done well here. Mm. Done really well. Mm. Well, I was, I was also uh, thought, well, after Ashley gave us the, the recipe, I thought, mm. I'm going to have a little look about uh, donuts because I actually didn't know a vast amount about them. So I was trawling the internet as, as, as you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came across some, some awful awful stories around donuts and the one that really drew me in was about four years ago to about 2014 tesco did a range of um they called them weird 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 doughs play on words weird Mm. doughs and they had um, turkey and stuffing flavored donuts and uh, smoky bacon flavored donuts and cheese and onion flavored donuts and obviously my background's in marketing and i was sort of looking at this going why have they done that and then it's quite simple, really. I mean, they did it so people go and buy them. I yeah. mean, this is this is what happens in in um, certainly within our culture in in Britain. It seems more and more so that, that there are these weird. Have you heard of freak shakes? Is no, another one. So freak, freak shakes. They're sold in Liverpool. They're sold actually all over the country. I don't know why I've singled out Liverpool, but they're in essence a, a milkshake. But they're called a freak shake because they're full of um, lots of other. Um, things really I say things because people just cobble them together and they're, they're milkshakes that are around 3,000 4,000 calories like a smoothie but just not as healthy as a but smoothie. They, they put like blend brownies into them get oh. all the chocolates you could imagine just they just it's as many calories as you possibly can into one and they're called freak shakes it's and bit, again it's a bit gross I'm, I'm delighted that you haven't subjected me to anything like that I mean we you no. have subjected me to some quite disgusting uh, adventurous Adventurous, the they weren't disgusting. They Whereas were this is, I mean, oh, it's very sugary, very sweet, so I need to drink it water is. afterwards. But yeah. uh, as the recipe said, puts a smile on your face for it sure. Does. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, donuts are a big part of uh, American culture. They're not so much in uh, in this culture. Um, they even have like a National Donut Day in America. Um, Doesn't uh, surprise me. <laughs> But obviously, we've got um, quite a lot of donut companies that have come to the country in the last few years. Krispy Kreme, Krispy Kreme being you know one of the big ones, and uh, Dunkin' Donuts as well, mm. which um, is sort of started to turn up on our door uh-huh. doorstep uh, uh-huh. quite recently too. But these are an absolute winner, oh, absolute delight. winner. And there is a um, we'll put a link to the recipe on the on the um, podcast uh, yeah, description yeah. as well. Um, and then we come to your favourite part of the show now. Ah, yes, Books Corner. Books Corner, yeah. So this week, Books Corner, courtesy of Dr. Ashley Rose Young, and she's going to be discussing the book I mentioned there. Yes. Well, so, we'll just introduce it and, and, you know... Well, for this week's Books Corner, let's go back over to Ashley. So a book that I read recently, which ties into the recipe that I recommend for the program today, is actually a book that was written by Chef Edward Lee, and as I mentioned, he came in for our Cooking Up History series and helped us really delve into the topic of the American South and how it's evolved over time. And he recently wrote an amazing memoir called Buttermilk Graffiti, A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine. And what I love about this book, which I read in preparation for our Cooking Up History program in June, is that it goes into these remote corners of the United States, really, and interviews restaurateurs who've either made a name for themselves in their local community or are relatively unknown. But Chef Lee, in addition to being a wonderful cook, is a brilliant writer. I mean, his his prose is really poetic. It sweeps you off on just a great 
journey, but it's not just a memoir. It's also a very reflective and critical piece of writing as well, thinking about issues of appropriation in the United States within its food culture, or thinking about issues of xenophobia, but also celebrating moments in which you know, fusion and the mingling of food cultures is producing incredibly positive, rich um, relationships among people. And I found that tension and that balance of those two kind of, you know, ideas really compelling. Um, so I would very much recommend this beautifully written cookbook and part cookbook, part memoir. It does include recipes um, from his journeys. And yeah, I would say have a read. It's a beautiful, beautiful summer read, I think. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, Ashley.